Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. And welcome to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Mike Miller, your host for today and every Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. Just a refresher for those who may be listening for the first time, we are an educational program. We want to inform you and educate you so that you make the right decisions and maybe keep from making the wrong decisions could be even more important. And and so today we're talking about a, a topic that I think really fits this, and that's the, the um, importance, the effectiveness of diversifying your portfolio. So joining me today, Nick Stone Street, CEO of Ronald Blue Trust, based out of Atlanta, joins me once again for the microphone. Welcome, Nick, to Greenville again. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be back with you. I'm like a regular now. You so are, thanks. yeah. So there was an article to give folks an idea of the kinds of things that, that we read or, or get from the national office. There was a an article that was put out because of Martin Luther King Day, which was just a uh, it was January 20th. It says Almost, right here. Yeah. It says January 20th. Uh, on January 20th, our nation observed Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a day that many chose to spend in service to others. In fact, awareness of and participation in the MLK Day of Service has grown significantly since Congress designated it as a federal holiday in 1994. That seems hard to believe. 94. Really? That goes back a long ways. And there are many opportunities to get involved in our local communities on this meaningful day. While service was a cornerstone of Dr. King's legacy, it underscored his much greater passion of achieving racial equality. Known for using the power of words and acts of nonviolent resistance, he maintained fidelity to his belief that we are all God's children with equal inherent rights. This spiritual conviction led him to also address the problems of poverty, voting rights, and economic justice. In other words, his sincere, his sincere passion for bringing about racial equality bore fruit in a myriad of ways. What are your passions? And are you pursuing them wholeheartedly? What are the desires and plans that you feel God has placed in your heart? There are many resources that can help you turn your passion into action. The catalyst is an inner drive or yearning to give back or serve others in a way that is personally meaningful to you. Your aspirations don't have to be grand. You can make a difference in the smallest of ways, whether you are led to serve in your neighborhood or in another country. God has made each of us with unique talents, gifts, and knowledge. By cultivating our passions, we not only heed God's direction and live in greater harmony with his purpose, we also, like Dr. King, can allow those passions to infuse a heart of generosity and create a serving spirit toward others. We encourage you to draw inspiration from Dr. King's legacy throughout the year by generously giving from those resources with which you have been blessed, including your time, talents, and treasures. So that was a piece that was sent to all the Ronald Blue people back, uh, back on, the, on, on the 27th. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's great because actually, um, Ronald Blue Trust, we have a very special relationship with the King family. And so, um, being headquartered in Atlanta and, um, mm-hmm. I've been on the board of the A.D. King Foundation, which was Dr. King's brother, who was also, uh, murdered. And his widow, right, right. um, Miss Naomi King is a very special friend of Ronald Blue Trust. She spoke at our advisors That's right. meeting last yeah. year. And, uh, one of the things she taught me was, uh, 
nonviolence doesn't mean you won't get killed. It means you won't be a killer. And so to see this uh, amazing 88-year-old lady yeah. still going to elementary schools and teaching children about nonviolence, yeah. it's, a, it's an amazing legacy. And, you know, when we're passionate about something, we can create an ama- yeah. amazing legacy as well. Yeah, that's pretty special. And that's something I think is special about the company and the firm overall that's been, been really good. Okay. So, uh, talking about uh, diversification, I'm always fascinated, Nick, when you hear people talk about, okay, there's a, there's a big fear of whatever. This time it's the fear of this, this, uh, coronavirus spreading. And, and, and of course it can be serious, but, but when you look back in history and find out how many different things like that have occurred for people to be nervous about it, uh, affecting their, Stock market, their prices, their companies, it is always seems to get overblown. It's like it, it was waiting for the market was just waiting for some excuse to go down. But typically, what happens when you have these downturns? It doesn't take long, and it starts to go back up again. And I look at it as, wow, what an opportunity we have if you want to get into something. If you can get get it when it's gone down another five, six, seven percent, wow, what a good time to get in yeah. instead of panicking. Typically, it's going to be a temporary thing, but yeah, it's just uh, you have to look at these things long term. People who have uh, all their money in, in the stock market, of course, are, are really feeling nervous, maybe. But you don't want to put all of your money in any one kind of investment, which is the the basis, the core, with diversifying your assets, so you don't have everything in there. Which means you're probably going to always be disappointed with something in your portfolio. Um, but there should be always something there that's that's doing well, at least relatively well, with the the rest of the markets. As uh, in addition to that, we'd like to look at our buckets. Right. So if our long-term bucket. And we look at the stocks as we should as the long-term bucket. So it's going to be five, at least maybe eight to 10 years plus before we think we'll need that money. The rest of our portfolio is in more short-term fixed income type investments that don't have that same kind of volatility typically. That's the money that we're going to live off of. We shouldn't worry so much about the long-term because we are guaranteed that it's going to go down like that every now and then. That's right. That's right. And it's it's great you mentioned the buckets, Mike, because thinking of that short-term bucket where you have cash on hand for emergencies and you have um, plenty of cash because the liquidity is a, a real killer of wealth. So yeah. I've seen a lot yeah. of situations where people weren't liquid and they had to fire sale assets at the wrong time. So you've got to have that buffer of liquidity first. And then your intermediate-term investments are there for all of your needs over right. the next you know, two to – even up to 10 years, and then look at your equities as the real long-term part of the portfolio. Now, if you're 30 years old and it's your 401K, and say, okay, you can leave that all into equities, uh, but but your outside 401K money that you need for your emergency funds, maybe your next down payment for a house, whatever that is, should not be in the stocks because it's something you'll need sooner than that, and you don't want to have to count on the stocks being up just when you need it. Yeah, you see this a lot with college funds where they've started saving for the kids when they're young mm-hmm. and they can put it all in equities for many years. But then the closer your kids get to going to college, the, if you need that money back, then it's starting to take it out of the market as they, as they're just a few years out, mm-hmm. reducing those positions to make sure you have the, the cash right. to pay those right. uh, tuition bills. And people do the same thing when they're getting closer to retirement. Absolutely. So, but, but the thing we've had to really educate clients about as much is don't get so conservative that you're now subject to the risk of inflation and loss of purchasing power. Yeah, you may have reduced your risk of volatility, but you've increased your risk of of not being able to keep up with your cost of living, with the cost of living, so your standard of living is going to go down. So I've seen that happen many times where people are 65, 70, and they say, no, I need to be all safe, and they get all safe, but 
wow, you're going to live maybe another, well, your father-in-law, 86. Yeah, 86. So, so, so you can go easy. And going another, strong. And so. Yeah, another 20, 30 <laughs> years. And is your money going to last you that long? Now, unfortunately, I think the annuity salesman can use that as a as a scare tactic and say, look, see what happened yesterday that went down, so you need to make sure you put all your money. Well, no, I don't blame somebody for putting some of their money into uh, some type of annuity. And a lot of people are probably really shocked to hear me say that, but there are some annuities that are that are decent annuities if they're sold correctly for the right reason. Just unfortunately, in my years in this business, I see it sold incorrectly for the wrong reason more times than not. So that's why you have to be so careful. But it's it's could be a, a portion of the money that's that you want to keep safe. Maybe it creates you a a, a pension like income. That's fine for part of it, but for your long term money, in order to avoid that risk of loss of purchasing power and the cost of living going up that's those kind of investments typically don't keep in there the, the reason right. they're guaranteed is because they don't have that growth potential just that's keep right. that in mind nick share with us some some stories and people you know of and some things that they they did back on uh, early on that uh they shouldn't have done maybe or, or or maybe they did and and it helped uh them yeah, weather the storm yeah i've seen a lot of um diversification stories over the years and it's really important that people understand you know there is a place for for concentrations of of assets and you see a lot of uh corporate executives with concentrated mm-hmm. positions in stock in their company and business owners have a concentration of risk in their the business that they own. Right. And and a lot of wealth is created through concentrated positions. But yeah. then there comes a time when you got to think about unwinding those positions. Right. And um, I had a uh, I won't name names obviously, but uh, <laughs> right. uh, someone who held a lot of Wachovia stock. Some of you all might remember Wachovia Bank. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, at that time, I remember going into a meeting with him. And he just said, you know, at the start of the meeting, Nick, are you, are you going to talk to me about diversification? Because I don't want to talk about diversification. Everybody and, talks to me about diversification. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Stop counting me about that. So I told him, no, I'm not going to talk with you about diversification. And he looked so relieved. And then he said, well, then what are we going to talk about? I said, we're going to talk about risk management. <laughs> and he said, oh, I knew it. I knew it. So um, we did. We had a, a real heart-to-heart about risk management because most of his wealth was tied up in Wachovia stock. And at that time, Wachovia was trading at about $63 a share. Yeah. And he had a very hard good position. old days good old yeah. days yeah. yeah and it was it was really a, a high concentration and um you know we hit you know kind of wrestled the issue to the ground and um he ended up uh diversifying about half of his position at that time and then later on we know what happened uh wachovia when the when the uh real crash came uh wachovia was sold to to citibank for a dollar and then that transaction wow. got unwound and then during the next week, uh, Wells Fargo stepped up and ended up buying Wachovia for seven bucks. So, yeah. So, a fur piece from 63. Yeah, still. Yeah. But can you imagine the weekend he spent with one dollar and then, you know, seven dollars yeah. is still a nightmare. Yeah. But, but, you know, his family and the, the next generation and the next generation will benefit from a good decision around diversification. Yeah. But one that was hard to take because that stock had been really good to him for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And I've got another story about a lady who came to see us that had Coca-Cola stock, and she had probably two-thirds of her portfolio in Coca-Cola stock as a result of a divorce because her husband worked for Coca-Cola in Atlanta. So I'm going to go into more details about that. So if you've got any questions, go to Talking Money Radio. 
talkingmoneyradio.com, talkingmoneyradio.com. That's where you can submit questions to me so we can answer it and uh, try to answer that and where you can see or hear, listen to the former shows. So we'll be back after this break. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is a company with a vision to see individuals and families practicing biblical stewardship and experiencing freedom from economic fear, bondage, and conflict. They want their clients and their families to enjoy debt-free living, free to answer the call to ministry or whatever their passion is, feeling at peace with their investments and the way they are being professionally managed to help accomplish their financial objectives so they can focus on other aspects of their lives and help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. As a trust company, Ronald Blue Trust Advisors come alongside the next generation to help transfer your values and help you leave your lasting legacy. If you're a business owner, the Business Consulting Division can help you define your company's culture and, very importantly, then help convey that culture to the next generation of leaders in your company. Find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or one 800 588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. Nick Stone Street's my guest, CEO of Ronald Blue Trust. We're talking about diversification and a lot of different ways that you can do that. Some people who have done it and, and we were able to help diversify away from some of the investments that they had, and that ended up helping them. You never know for sure. I mean, diversification is not a magic bullet. Right. It doesn't mean you're not going to lose any money. Right. And though that I, I should say go down in price, because I think people have this when when stocks go down. Oh, I lost so much money. Well, no, you didn't. Maybe you lost some of your gain unless you invested everything the day before, then your investments may have gone down from where they were before. But if you've been in for a year or so and you're still looking pretty nice, it's not it's not like you lost money. Absolutely. And when you diversify, it can go the other way. You know, Mike, people, when I tell the story, people kind of laugh at me because I sold Apple at 20. Okay. Well, I bought it at 16 yeah. and it hit my price target at 20 and I sold it. And, <laughs> okay. you know, there's a certain discipline about it. Sure. People go, wow, don't you regret you could have had Apple at, you know, $321, whatever it is. No, I don't. Yeah. It hit my price target and I sold it and I made the profit that I was looking for. But if I kept concentrated position, I'd have a lot more money, kind of the reverse of the, sure. the Wachovia sure. story. But, you know, there's a certain discipline and rigor to investing. There's, there's a statement I heard years ago that I, it just stuck in my head that I think if most people would, would hear to this and it relates to just what you said, said you'll never lose money taking a profit. Right. Well, <laughs> Whatever now you've got a lot of listeners going, why did you put a guy on the show that sold Apple at 20? <laughs> <laughs> well, his crystal ball wasn't working that day. We had a, a um, prospective client come in in the late 90s. So... The, the reason this is a good time period, even though a lot of people listening say, late 90s, you're going back too far. But when we had the tech bubble that burst in 2000, 2001, 2002, then we had a an environment where we had certain stocks, like today, and we talked about that, that uh, before we got on the air, that certain stocks were making up a large percentage of the index. So when you had 50 companies back then that were making up the majority of the growth in that index, then your risk is getting higher because it's concentrated in those 50 companies. When they have a tough time, which they started doing later in 2000, 2001, 2002, if you're not diversified away from that. But it's hard for people to say, to, to have them convince them in 99 
you shouldn't have this much stock in there uh, in in those kind of investments because we don't it's, they're too high you're too concentrated in that and trying to get them to to change their mind it gets to be very very difficult so we had a lady that came in she was divorced and said several years and she had uh two-thirds of her portfolio in coca-cola stock and so before becoming a client we said we understand that when if you become a client of ours we're going to be because we have discretionary management, we're going to be gradually whittling away at that stock. And I think at the time, if my, my memory is uh, is good, which is not always good, but it's around $65 a share back then. And it had been going gangbusters, go cad. You know, who would sell mm-hmm. Coca-Cola? Like who would sell mm-hmm. Apple stock? Right. So I, I said, we don't, we just don't know what's going to happen. We think there's too much risk, the risk management to have that much in stock. Well, she never became a client. And so she left, and then and for the next six months, I think the stock went from 65 up to 75, and it's still a really, right. still really doing well. But then the tech bubble burst, and Coca-Cola was one of those companies that large growth companies that have been overpriced that tanked. And I think it went down to 15 or 25. It went down a lot uh, over the next couple of years, and it took a long time. Now, it finally recovered, but it took a long time to recover. And having that much of your money tied up in the concentrated one stock, like you said, it can it can really help make you a lot of money. But if you're not careful, you can lose it about as fast, if not faster, because stocks usually go down faster than they go up. Yeah. And that's not good. Well, you know, there are a lot of disappointed investors out there right now, which sounds strange because the S&P was up 31 percent last year. Yeah. Right. That's and why so, they're disappointed. <laughs> yeah. And and so if you look what's really driven the market, it's, you know, the the kind of they call them the FANG stocks, Facebook, mm-hmm. Apple, Google, you know, right. also Tesla. So you see these yeah. high-flying companies, uh, some of which don't make any money at all, but they're, you know, they're almost monopolies. And mm-hmm. so it's very interesting to see this, but that's what's been driving the market. So someone that has a globally diversified portfolio and their, their portfolio got 14 to 18% last year and the S&P was up 31%, they're just like, you know, these people that are helping me must not know anything. Right. We should have been all in. The S&P 500, well, no, no, you you probably shouldn't have, but because there's a few large cap monopolistic stocks driving that index Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. people feel disappointed that they didn't get that return. Yeah, and and you have to be careful with that because that's that's your fear of missing out. Yeah. And you have that fear of missing out. That's you got to remember. There's there's some other fears in there, and the fear of loss uh, that that's that's there just as heavily. But a lot of people. Well, I was reading a different research people this morning, a research paper this morning, and he was talking about this. And this is something that, of course, we all know in the investment business that when you first meet with a prospective client and you have a new client and you're going through the risk profiles and you're trying to figure out what they can do and you say, how much of a downturn can, do you think you can take? And they say, oh, yeah, I can take these downturns and so forth. But then when reality hits and they actually go through the downturn, they react differently than what they thought. If they'd never been one, through one before, they right. don't really know how. It's kind of like Mike Tyson used to say that everyone has a game plan against me until I hit him in the face. That's right. That's right. And if you ever saw Tyson fight, that's you know that's how some people felt when the uh, tech bubble burst. Yeah. 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 yeah, I just got hit. <laughs> so now my, my game plan's out the window. I, I don't know what I'm going to do anymore. So it's just so important to to make sure that you don't, you know, even get after your financial advisor to say, hey, what are you doing? I, how come you didn't know that I should have put all my money in the S&P 500 index? Well, I can tell you back in 2000, 2001, 2002, you know, we pretty easily beat the S&P 500 index because those right. 50 companies were struggling. So there are times when that doesn't happen and, and when the, the S&P doesn't beat everybody else. 
but but should a portion of your portfolio very well be in something like an S&P 500 sure. index or a total return index? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So you know that's getting that. But you could take emerging markets and look back and say, wow, emerging markets are struggling right now. But longer term, and there's been some periods, long time uh, periods, where the the emerging market stocks outperformed everything. They were the number yeah. one performing in many, many category. years, that's true. Yeah. And I think for investors, the main thing is to look at accomplishing their goals. So we kind of have a saying at, at Ronald Blue Trust, which is, uh, what good is it if you beat the S&P 500, but you can't send your kids to college? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So let's let's talk about your individual goals and how to construct a portfolio to meet those goals and not just sweat it about what the market did today and yeah. relative return indices. But unfortunately, the, when the S&P is doing real well, the, the comeback to that would be, yeah, but if I invest in the S&P 500, I'd be able to meet those college goals because look how well it did because they're looking at just the recent past. Yeah, exactly. And, and there, you know, some investors are uh, relative return investors when the market's going up and absolute return investors when the market's going down. So uh, yeah. sometimes yeah. there's no cure. Yeah. No Amazing. way to get it right with some people. Right. And I remember having a prospective client come in. And we unfortunately took him as a client for a, a fairly brief period of time, even though we had second thoughts about whether or not to even accept him as a client. Because when I asked him, so I, I would ask the question, so you you hire us as your investment manager. This time it was planned first. So a year from now, what is it that's going to have had to have happened for you to feel like you made the right decision to hire us? And I asked that question many, many times. And this particular person answered it 10% said, so you think your account should go up 10%? He said, yes. I said, well, what if the, because when I, when I got an unrealistic answer like that, I'd come back with another question that said, well, what if the, the S&P 500, the U.S. stock market went down 8% that year? What would you expect then? He said, 10%. I expect that you guys are good enough, you're professionals, that you can make 10% no matter which way, you know, Bernie Madoff type. Right. <laughs> he's like, right. he's the only one that guaranteed that. And I said, and we, we stopped him right there, so we got a problem. So we can't do this. No one can do this. So after educating him, we thought we had him convinced that no, no one can do this. You shouldn't expect this. And, and we moved on. Right. Well, about, you know, two years later when we hadn't made, I guess that, that 10% still stuck in his head. And I don't remember what years these were to what happened to the market, but it didn't do 10% in the next couple of years. Sure. And, and he, he fired us. We should have never hired him to begin with. Well, there was a whole lost decade where the, the market didn't move at all for, for 10 years. Right. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of people look at, at investments when they go down in price and think, Oh, I lost the money or it went down in value. What? Well, no, it didn't really. It went down in price. It's an auction. They're going to go up and down all the time. The earnings of the company still look pretty strong. Louis Navalier was predicting the Dow 40,000, Nick, wow. by the end of the year. So, so I'll, we'll hold him to that to see. We don't have any money with Navalier. I just like to read his comments and commentaries because he has some interesting insight in those things. And if I go back to the late 90s again, talking about how the market was so uh, dominated by those 50 companies or so that were doing so well. We had a, we had a new client that come in, that came into us and he had, uh, six or seven different Janus mutual funds and Janus mutual funds at that time, I think in 99, 40% of the new money going into mutual funds was going into Janus funds, if mm-hmm. I recall correctly, because they were doing so That's well because right. they were invested in those 50 companies. Now, but that meant also you had a lot of risks. So we did a check on his portfolio, did a little audit on it, and found out that, okay, he thought he was diversified because he was in six different funds. Well, when you looked at the funds themselves, most of them owned the same stocks. So you weren't really diversified. So we were able to get him out of those funds. 
mostly and get him into our diversified portfolio, which had a lot of large value stocks, which weren't, hadn't been doing well. Matter of fact, I think they even went down in, in 99. It's like, why are you investing in that when these other, you could throw a dart and these other companies would do so well? Well, we found out in 2000, 2001, 2002, exactly why we did that. So he was very grateful that he didn't have to do that. Wish we could say we did that for everybody, but that doesn't happen for everybody. His timing just worked out right. So there's a a, a way to look at your investing uh, like we do at Ronald Blue Trust in your separate bucket. So talk about the buckets, a, a bucket approach, which really started after the 08 crisis to help clients really visualize and understand the risks in separate uh, in different types of their portfolio better, right? Yeah, it's really important because um, we really like to have investors do a plan. It's so key to have a plan, and that's why the name of uh, your company, Plan First, is so uh, so key. And we don't mean just an investment plan. We're yeah. talking about an overall financial an plan. Overall looks at your taxes, estates, and everything. That's right. Yeah, cash that's flow right. needs, all that. And let those cash flow needs determine the the time-based portfolios that right. you put your money in right. you know the, the longer your horizon the more you can be in higher risk investments like stocks so one of the things that i think is really instructive is to think of your wealth not just the liquid wealth but in different buckets and so we think of the short term the cash your home your insurance all of those we consider protect assets and we yeah. put that in the short-term bucket and that bucket yields, it's a, a low risk, low return. Yeah. Then when you get to the stock market-based assets and the, the markets-based stocks and bonds, we'd call that market risk, market return. That's okay. what you get in that. And that's mm-hmm. to preserve your wealth over time. Then the the other bucket is the really high risk, high return bucket. And there's a place in many portfolios for that where you take private equity, uh, uh, higher risk, higher return types of investments. Yeah. So those are the three buckets we look at. Now I promise you, I'd talk a little bit about Bernie Madoff. Yeah, he's the fourth bucket. Okay, and the fourth, fourth bucket. Yeah. Okay. So we've got low risk, low return. We've got market risk, market return. Then we've got high risk, high return. Okay. Potentially high return. Potentially yeah, high return, right? right? <laughs> Potentially, but oh, it's high risk. Right. That's sure. You know, it yeah. could be zero. It could go to zero. Yeah. There's a reason so, they call it. Potential return because the right. high risk. That's yeah. right. That's right. But the the Bernie Madoff bucket was the low risk, high return bucket, uh, which doesn't exist. So anybody, only in jail. Only <laughs> yeah. You end up in an orange jumpsuit if you go telling people about the low risk, high return bucket. Anybody that comes to you and says there's no risk in this and it's going to give this incredible return, uh, just run. Don't walk. Run from that person because that yeah. bucket doesn't exist. But it helps to think about your assets. In these different buckets, and there is a place for part of your wealth in in, in higher risk assets, but you've got to be very careful in how you allocate that. So typically, those assets are also less liquid. Less you liquid. Have yeah, you have liquidity yeah. risk. You have duration right. risk. There are a lot of different risks involved with with you know the higher risk right. assets. Right. Well, and matter of fact, and I hate to always come back to annuities for things like this, but when you have a liquidity risk with annuity, so you buy an annuity, it may have a floor and it may have um, some participation in the market, um, but for the first eight to ten years, however long that surrender charge is, you've got a guaranteed loss. So if you if you want to get the money out, liquidity risk, you've got a charge that's going to be charged to you against that funds that you put in there, so which means you've got a liquidity risk, and that's that. There's a cost to that. And right. You need to remember that. Yeah, that people just need to really understand their investments. If you have questions about it, don't invest in it. Wait until all your questions are satisfied. You know, there's a place and a time 
uh, where you could use annuities in portfolios, but it's important that you understand all the ramifications of what you're investing in. Yeah, and and I think, I think in very, I, I would think mostly in in smaller instances, but I do think it's it's uh, especially when if maybe I should say interest rates ever go back up again, because we helped some clients get into some annuities back uh, you know 15 years ago, and they have a guaranteed minimum of four and five percent. Yeah, that's great. And when interest rates went down, that just no, we're not we're not going to have you get out of that annuity. And so ones we helped them buy back years ago. Um, so we're not just gonna. Somebody comes in to see me. I'm not going to automatically just say, "Wow, you idiot! Why'd you buy these these annuities?" I understand why people buy them, and I understand also most of them buy them for the wrong reasons and don't really understand what they bought. If they truly understood it, they would um, probably think twice about it. And that's a good time to remind folks if you can go to talkingmoneyradio.com, talkingmoneyradio.com. That's where we archive the radio programs from Talking Money. And you can go in there and find the blogs. You can actually search by topic. So if you're thinking about buying an annuity, you're thinking about uh, working on your trust, your states, you got some tax planning you want to do, just put that topic in the search bar. and It'll come up with the different radio shows that we talked about that on. Now, it's not going to cover every one of them, but the, for the ones that we talked about that pretty much the whole program, then you're gonna you're gonna have that in there. So yeah. when we're talking about diversification, it's really and and I think people are funny. Some of the ones who aren't as as um, biblically oriented as we would be and think, wow, I don't know if we if we throw in the Bible in here, we're probably not going to make any money. But biblically, diversification is a biblical concept, and people Absolutely. don't understand that. That's really it's taught about not specific a lot in the Bible. It is in the Bible. Absolutely. It, it, it really is. And, and part of it too is, you know, I, we really think of when you invest, invest with humility, not hubris and, um, have a, a coherent plan to do that. And nothing that we're saying on this show is specific advice for you, but it's general kind of principles to think about. And it does a lot of the, what we talk about does come from, um, biblical wisdom. So the, uh, a recent article in Sound Mind Investing, Richard Pryor, uh, Austin, not Richard Pryor, Austin, Richard Pryor, Pryor. Austin Pryor. <laughs> don't quote him, don't you'll think, get kicked no. off the air. <laughs> so, uh, so one of the sections was uh, diversification is a key biblical investing principle. So we believe that ultimately it's impossible to self-destruct financially if you follow God's time-tested principles for stewardship. One of those principles is that to protect against the uncertainties of the future, your investments should be broadly diversified. Quote, give portions to seven, yes to eight. For you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. That's Ecclesiastes 11.2, right in the scripture. So to diversify is to be honest with yourself and say, not only do I not know what the future holds, none of the experts do either. Since you don't and can't know the future, you can never know with certainty which investments will turn out most profitably. I'll repeat that. You can never know with certainty which investments will turn out most profitably. That's the rationale for diversifying, spreading out your portfolio into various areas so you won't be over-invested in any hard-hit areas, and you'll have at least some investments in the most rewarding areas. I thought yeah. that was pretty concise and, and said it well. Yeah, that's terrific. There's a there's a Wall Street expression that says uh, people with crystal balls usually end up eating glass. Yeah. So uh, yeah. The, yeah. there's no one with a crystal ball. And, and one of the principles that we really um, – think about and invest by is the principle of uncertainty. We really don't know what's going to happen next. And you may think you found an expert that knows, and you can listen to CNBC or some of the other yeah. uh, really intelligent people that get on TV, and, and there will be four of them on a panel, and they're all very smart, 
mm-hmm. they're all four saying different things. So that tells me they don't know either. Yeah. And so don't be, you know, don't be fooled by somebody that just because they have a strong opinion that that's really yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. And some good we reasons, and good reasons backing up their opinion. Absolutely. A lot of times. Yeah. There's a, you know, it all sounds good, like you said, until you, you get punched you in the, the face. face. Yeah. You know, it sounds like GDP's yeah. back on track and, uh, global economy is going to surge with trade deals and then you get the pandemic, uh, virus. Yeah. Uh, so you yeah. never know. So back uh, 10 years ago when Jim Scramer, I call him, Jim Cramer, was telling everybody to get all their funds out of the stock market back in October of 08, after everything had gone down, and said that if you need the money for uh, for five years, then get it out of the market. And I was telling them then, no, that's nuts. That's too long. And then a year later, when things went back up, said, "Okay, I don't think he came back and apologized for that." So, uh, you know, I've got. A, I mean, and this is a great example of a really smart guy. I mean, I like Jim Cramer. His style's a little abrasive. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a really smart guy, but he didn't entertaining. know. Yeah, yeah. Entertaining, right, but right, he didn't right. know. Yeah. Okay, well, Nick, thanks for joining me once again here yeah, on Talking Money. Great to be here with yeah, you, Mike. Always a pleasure to have you. All right, so we got to wrap up today. So, of course, if you have any questions or would like to learn more about any of the topics covered on the program today, you can always reach out to your financial advisor, your tax attorney, whoever your professional is. We do believe it's very important to work with an advisor who shares your values, though, and your biblical worldview. So if you want more information, please call Ronald Blue Trust, 800-588-7526. We'll see you next week for the next edition of Talking Money. 